On this episode of Narcissist Apocalypse, we talk with an abuse survivor named Willow, and Willow was in an abusive relationship with a malignant narcissist. It's a story of control, isolation, failed smear campaigns, and private investigators. Welcome to Narcissist Apocalypse, everyone. This is a podcast that gives a voice to survivors of toxic relationships. I am Brandon Chadwick, but my friends call me Chad. And thanks for tuning into this episode. So what is a narcissist, you may ask? Well, for the purposes of this podcast, we refer to a narcissist as anyone who has displayed a pattern of behavior that shows a limited capacity to appreciate others' perspectives. It is that simple. And now, before we get to our episode with Willow, I just want to tell everyone to go to our website at NarcissistApocalypse.com if you want to be a guest on our show. Top of the page, there's a button that says Guest Form. Click on that button, fill out the guest form, and we will go from there. Another way to be on our show is to be part of our Letters to My Narcissist Compilation Episode, Volume 6. And for that, you can also go to NarcissistApocalypse.com. Side of the page, there is a floating button that says Send Voicemail. Press that button. Records up to five minutes. Press it twice, ten minutes. In a way, we will go on that one. If you do not want to read the letter yourself and you want me or my old pal Melissa to read the letter instead, just send us an email at NarcissistApocalypse at gmail.com and put letters to my narcissist in the subject line. Hey, everyone. Guess what? We have a Patreon. Yes, we have a Patreon. If you want to support the show, go to our Patreon at patreon.com slash NarcissistApocalypse. We have episodes that never made it to air. We have follow-up episodes with former guests. We have virtual support groups that we do every Wednesday and Saturday, and we have our own private message board, forum board that is away from Facebook. We feel it's safer there. You know, if you want to be part of this, you want to support the show, be part of our community, join our Patreon today. And I'm thanking you in advance for becoming a patron of our Patreon. And now before we get uh, started here, I really want to thank uh, everyone in our community and I want to thank Willow for taking part uh, on the show. This is a very difficult episode for her to record um, you know, she's been through a lot, a lot of trauma, and I just want to thank her for being part of it. I know it was so difficult to do, and she did it. She did a great job. And now, without further ado, here is my episode with Willow. Welcome to Narcissist Apocalypse, everyone. With me today, I have Willow. How are you? I'm doing well, Brandon. Well, we talked for a while and we both noticed, or I noticed that last year you sent me an email. I returned it and it went to your junk. So it's been a year in the making, but as you said before, it's been a good year in the making because you got a better perspective of what's happened. And I'm happy you're here. And unfortunately you're here 
And I know you're going to help a lot of people. So thank you for being here today, Willow. And without further ado, the floor is now yours. I can't believe the floor is now mine. It's so exciting for it to be my turn. Um, Okay, well, one, I said it before, but I'll say it on air. Like, thank you. Thank you for running this platform and sharing people's stories. It saved my butt massively um, and is just so powerful and validating and educational mainly to, like, see patterns and um, through what other people have lived through. So that um, was a, is a huge gift. Um, and so I just really want to thank you for that. So my story, I'm going to, um, I'm going to give a little bit of context before I get into, um, the adventure, the coming of age adventure that was a year of my life. So, um, I'm Canadian. I live in New York, but I'm, but I'm a Montrealer and I grew up in a house that, you know, I had parents who were educated and loving and like flawed humans, but not in any way that is radical or trauma inducing. Um, I was a happy, happy kid, have had a younger brother. When I became a teenager, I developed a really bad eating disorder. And that sort of, you know, like I did well at school. I am a very creative, like I've always been sort of, you know, into, into whatever it was I was working on, but this eating thing had like followed me through my adult life and was like really problematic and sort of, I would say like stunted my growth in many ways because like many addictions, it just kind of took all the space. Um, I think as a consequence, I always told myself I, I didn't want kids because that is not the sort of thing that one entertains having children with if, you know, you're not a total jerk. So, you know, I, I went to college. I had a long-term relationship. I moved back to Montreal. I worked in advertising. I'm a creative director, so I worked in advertising for a very long time there. And then um, I started working on my eating. I had a burnout at work, started working on my eating, and I actually went to AA to work on my eating because I liked the 12-step model. I'd been in, I'd done rehabs, I'd done groups, I'd done all the stuff, but I I went to AA and, um, and I met my ex-husband there. Um, that was not the right person for me to marry. He was a lovely human, but just like, he liked watching sports center at night. It was not the right fit, you know? Um, he's my family. I love this man to the tits, but he, he, I should not have married him. I was relatively young. I was like 27 with maturity level of an 11 year old. Um, and it took me a couple of years to realize like, ah, it really isn't working there. You know, there, there were a whole bunch of, there were a whole bunch of, of reasons that it wasn't working, um, that don't really matter here, but I didn't know how to get out. Um, and you know, I, sort of had segued out of advertising 
a year after we got married, we were working together. I went to India to run this program for street dogs. And um, while I was there, I took an interview at this agency, big agency in, in India, in Delhi, and was offered a job, and I decided to take it. And my ex-husband at the time, being an absolute mensch, was like, I have your back. Like, we'll work it out. Maybe we, I spend six months there, six months here. Like, go. This has been on your bucket list. Go, go. I went to boarding school in India. Like, I have a legacy in India, so it wasn't that strange. So I moved to India, and in my gut, I kind of know that I'm going there to see how I feel. Like, am I going to miss him? Am I not going to miss him? And I don't really miss being married. Um, which is inconvenient because I don't like hurting people's feelings. <laughs> um, and I don't really know how to deal with this. And I do it the worst possible way, which is like, let's just set off a nuclear bomb in one's life. Let's just have an affair and drink too much and work 90 hour weeks. And like, like, let's just blow the world up. So I'm doing that, and I'm with this young young Indian that I work with, um, and um, he's, he's a jerk. He's not a narcissist. He's just an entitled brat who gets really abusive when he's drunk. Um, but my marriage dissolves. My ex-husband is really devastated. I am fairly self-loathing for how I did this. It isn't that I did that, that leaving was wrong, but the way I left is wrong. Anyway, that all falls kind of like, you know, falls in or out of place. And um, this agency I'm at in India is a mess. We decide to move to New York. So we get a job in New York from Delhi, move to Manhattan, get a place. And this guy, like I said, is a bit, is, is, he's, he's a dick. Um, and everyone knows it. And eventually he, he, he's fired from work, which is the best thing that could possibly happen to me. Um, and I take about a year to steady the ship. Um, I buy my, my ex-husband buys my house in Montreal. I buy a place in New York. Um, I'm at this agency that, that like I'm doing well at, at things are, Finally, for the first time in a long time, stabilizing. I have my eating really more under control than I ever have in my life. And I'm like, oh, okay, things are, things are getting better. And I meet a man, and I date him for a year, and I adore him. And he ends up breaking up with me because he says, and, you know, who knows if this was a thing, but, like, he, He's like, you know, I want a family and whatever. And, like, when I sent you photos of babies, you were like, never send me those again. And I was like, well, they weren't my baby. Like, I, I don't want to see other people's babies and feign interest. Like, I don't care. But I realized, like, uh, I haven't really been considering some of the things that matter to me and that I want in my life. And we break up, and I'm heartbroken, and I'm also really just feeling very empty at work, you know, like it's, I'm, I'm working on fortune 500s and, and it's, it's 
fun and whatever, but um, I feel like I'm not really having the impact that I want and I'm not inspired in the way that I want to be. And um, I speak to my work and I, I decide to take a year to do what I'm calling a free range creative supposed to be a year where I would like go off and like work in an elephant village and do, you know, and, and do ayahuasca and like all the cliche eat, pray, love shit. Um, and I'm working with, um, this, this man in LA who, uh, his father wrote year to live. And like, I've got a mentor in this process and I'm kind of stoked, you know, I'm like, I'm going to put my house on the market and rent it out so that I can travel while I do this year. And like, there was this, you know, Noah Harari had this quote, said, you know, like, if you want it, the truth doesn't lie at the center. It lies at the periphery. And you have to be willing to waste time and walk the periphery if you want to find real insight and real truth. I was like, bam, I'm going to go do that. Mama likes that idea. So like my work is like, fine, like we got your back. Go, go have fun. Like, you know, go save the whale. Um, and I, I, I go on a trip with my parents. I booked a thing to Mexico for the family. So we, we all go down to Mexico. And I, I'm starting to, you know, like, I'm very casually dating. Basically, I'm just like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm having like, you know, a date here, a date here, sleep with this person here. But like very just nothing serious because I know I'm I'm going to be adjusting and I start talking to this man and um, he's interesting and uh, when I get back to New York I like hit him up to go meet and he doesn't want to meet and I like convince him to go for uh, a meal and he's different um, he is charismatic, uh, as hell. He's incredibly intelligent. Um, he's challenging. Um, and, you know, like we've been talking for, for a, a, a week or so, like pretty intensively while I was away. And like, I'm just really fascinated by him. He has um, a legacy in terms of work that I find really inspiring. He has, you know, he's run agencies that did prophetic creative. He ran a fashion label that was really visionary and sustainable and ahead of its time. Um, he has, he's, he's like a strategist, a futurist. He has big, sexy, visionary kind of ideas like all of this is just pornography for me and you know we we sleep together and the sex is ridiculous like it's I was like what's up with this you know like whoa I was sort of just shocked and he knew what my plan was in terms of my year no 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 and the next day he, he goes home in the morning and he calls me around lunch and uh he's like I get your bag. I'm picking you up. Um, I want to take you somewhere. So he, you know, I, I meet him downtown and he takes me to this beach that's called Dead Horse Bay, where, which is like this kind of magical beach, like 
40 minutes out of the city where like all the horse slaughterhouses used to be. And the, the, the tide has sort of eroded this, these, these burial sites and dump sites essentially from like a hundred, 150 years ago. And the beach is just covered in like glass and marbles and old spoons and horse bones and it stings. And I took mushrooms before I went. So I was like, this is magic. I'm losing my shit. And it was just, um, and he was like, you know, you don't need travel all over the place and like whatever to find the periphery. Like the periphery is here if you want it. And he had a way, right? Like he just had a way. And I started, so I started spending a lot of time with him and he was working on this um, trade show that was going to be like for sort of future of outdoor that was taking place in Germany at this big, big, big trade convention. Um, and that was also like fascinating and interesting. So there was all this stuff that was like really enticing to me. It was like intelligence, beauty, art, culture, all the things together, sex, shit, I'm in trouble. And I knew I was in trouble. Um, at the same time, he's like totally broke because he's in startup mode, which I don't really care about, frankly. He had this daughter who um, was very young, she was five, and he was in all these legal disputes with his daughter's mother. And he started laying on sort of his personal drama really fast and really thick. And it was just like, this intensity of drama that scared me out the gate. I was like, this is like, like, whoa, 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 whoa. And I started pulling back and, um, and he, I'm not sure exactly how, how it went down, but he rejected me as a consequence. He was like, you know, like, I guess he was like, I'm, I'm a package deal, whatever. Or like, I don't want to play games. Like, I'm being up front. And, like, and the, this rejection was just reverse psychology 101, which is something that I didn't really know triggered me quite as effectively as it does. Um, but I went back to him. And um, so to explain that, if if the thing was on your terms, it would be different. But when you got rejected, you felt rejected. So then you, let's say, wanted to caretake that or prove yourself. Maybe I, I, I don't even know, Brandon, what like what it was. Is that about my self-esteem? Is that about like wanting what I can't have? I'm not sure what it was that did it, but. But I like it, 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 I wanted to have the option, you know, like I wanted to make a decision. Now he was making the decision and part of me didn't like that. So I went back and right away I am introduced to his daughter and which is strange, right? Like, cause I've, 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 I've literally known this man, like in terms of face to face, knowing him for maybe a week and a half, two weeks. Um, but I meet his daughter and like, she's, she's a munchkin. She's adorable. Um, he lives in Brooklyn and, um, and I start 
staying over there. You know, the, the, I get there's like, we go through now sort of the phase of like mirroring paradise phase, like all the things I'm confiding. Um, and I'm incredibly trusting, which I like about myself. And maybe it's because I'm Canadian. Maybe it's because I'm, idealistic maybe it's because I'm stupid but (laughs) I'm super super trusting and he's telling me stories and the stories are um there are many red flags in the story there's the fact that like you know none he's he has no photos of his ex-wife and can't find one because I was like who is like show me a photo can't find one. All of his exes are crazy. The last two women his serious relationships with both had abortions um, while they were with him. Um, he, you know, has been screwed out of millions of dollars by his ex. Like, it's, he was abused as a kid by his parents. Like, it, 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 it's victimization. is like the sob story. It's it's really, and I'm, and, and I buy all of it because I trust people. Like, why would you lie about things that make your life sound so shitty? I do, I like, I couldn't understand why any of this could possibly potentially be a lie. Um, so where am I? You know, I, I'm super naive. I'm going along with all of this. He's like working on this project and I, because I'm working part time at like at the agency and, and free range creative, I start helping with this, with this venture. And it's, it's cool. Like, and I, I have a really hard time also differentiating between like loving a person and loving their work. Like, if something is beautiful, if someone makes something beautiful, I assume that person is beautiful. There are a lot of crossed wires that to me are like these things are synonymous, they're interchangeable, but they're not necessarily. So, you know, we're we're plugging along on this, and the intensity is very high uh, in 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 all respects. Now, I have had since. I broke up with my ex. I have had, I'm, I'm, I'm consuming zero substances. I have not, um, I, my eating has been perfect for the longest that it has ever been. Like I have struggled with my eating my entire life. And I really like took sort of that heartbreak as I guess a moment where I, you know, like, Love and heartbreak are really good fuel sources. That's what my ex used to say, and I tend to agree. And and so I was like, don't, like, do not waste this burn. You know, like, transformation, please. So I've, I've, I've got this time under my belt that's unprecedented for me, literally since puberty, in terms of my self-care. And I'm really proud of that. Like, I'm really um, profoundly sort of, touched by that because it it was so untenable for me um so we're you know i'm basically like staying in brooklyn um i get this realtor uh you know she's looking to put the 
to rent out my, my house, which costs a freaking fortune. And he starts confiding in me stories that are like, oh, kind of stories, like he was in style. Now, let's just put a pin in this, because literally my education of, like, all things intelligence community is like Nikita. That is, that is, that is and I'm like, what the fuck do you mean you free off? And, like, stories of, like, you know, being in the Middle East and bombing things and killing people and, like, and to poaching missions and, like, I'm just, like, what the hell is this? And at the same time, like, this is so beyond the realm of almost reason. And at the same time, here is a person who has, you know, who has a PhD, who has, like, massive press, who has photos of him with, like, all of these, like, incredible artists, musicians, celebrities, et cetera, who has done amazing things. And I'm like... Like, okay, right? Like, like the world is a surprising fucking place. Okay. Like, didn't see it coming, but okay. Um. So at this point, is it is it fair to say that you are already hooked into this guy and no matter what he's going to say or do after, you know, the hooks are already in you that, you know, you are so, um, uh, you know, taken by his uh, character of his job, character as a person, um, the nerd in you uh, appreciates all of the things such as being a futurist and all those kind of magical things, everything that he's done is just a very impressive kind of guy. There's no re and you know, he also plays the victim. You know, you're kind, even though it's drama to you, you, you know, see him, he has a child, there's a family aspect to him. You know, what could be wrong here? I think I'm like 85% there. And then there's the first real fight. And I think actually the first real fight and the process of like going through that fight cycle and how it affected me is what hooked me. And it was like a so obscure kind of fight. Like I'm a, I, with the exception of like that one affair that I had on my husband that I regret enormously. Um, like I'm an incredibly loyal person and I'm an incredibly honest person. And which gets me into probably a fair amount of trouble. But I was at his house and I, when I had met my narc, I was, like I said, I was casually like dating. There was one other man I was dating and, and he sort of found out about this and he went downstairs. I, I was taking a bath. He went downstairs and, and he came back up. And I was on my phone. I was, like, on Instagram or something. And he twisted me doing literally nothing into, like, this was the most meaningful moment for him. He had just professed feelings for me. And I clearly didn't care. And, like, I was, he was just, like, one of many. And, like, this wasn't what he was looking for. And he, and, and it, I was I was so taken aback by 
this, it seemed almost like I was like, there must be a, a misunderstanding. Literally, none of this makes sense. And, and his intensity of feeling in this was like way unmeasured. And it turned into this massive thing where there were accusations and he wanted to see my phone. And there was like, you know, just like a hot festival of word salad that kept me up until like five in the morning. And at the end, I was like apologizing for God knows fucking what. And that was like, he won a thing. And I don't know how, but at the end of it, I felt like I had done something wrong. And I felt like I was on the defensive somehow. And I think that that was when he really had the reign at some level. Um, I don't know if that makes sense, but that's how it, that's, that's sort of how it felt. At the same time, so, and like, these are very clear freaking flags, right? But like, okay, it's all, it's all in this medley of like, okay, well, that's fucked up and that's fucked up and that's fucked up, but then this is amazing and this is amazing and this is like mind blowing. And so, like, okay, you take the good with the bad. Like, we can work with this. We wanted periphery. Keep going. So, you know, and he's got, like, this treehouse out, out in the woods in the Catskills, and we rescue turtles in Chinatown and drive them up the treehouse to let them go in the lake, and we're planning Germany, and it's exciting, and he has beautiful ideas, and basically I never leave and go back home. Okay, like this is like Paradise Days Chapter One. Great. And then, you know, through all of this, this is where sort of the math begins to slip. Like there's still all this goodness. We're meeting artists and designers and going on road trips and like I'm being exposed to sort of facets of cultures that I didn't know about. And I introduced him to my work because I see uh, synergy in terms of like what we're working on and what he's doing and the clients that we have. And and I work at WPP, like it's not a nothing thing, um, but I bring him into my work and da 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 infiltration real soon. And um, there start to be a few, a few issues. Like he talks a huge amount, but he doesn't do a lot of work. And I'm paying for everything. And at the same time, like, I'm somebody who, like, work has always been my baby. Like, that's the thing that, and when I say work, it's more making, just creating. And I'm finding it very, very difficult to create around him. And I'm basically living with him. Um, there's no structure. There's no routine. Um, he takes up all of the space, you know, and when I want to leave, like he calls constantly, there are these little flares of jealousy of like needing to face time, almost as confirmation of where I am. And there are these like fights that sort of manage to keep me up all night very frequently. So I'm kind of exhausted and fuzzy and all of this is textbook but i haven't read that textbook at this stage so w- when he is getting your location all the time uh what are you, are you having an argument over it or do you just get tired of 
the accusation or, or the runaround of that and just say, like, this is where I am? Like, I'm, you know, I, like, have to go into the office for a client thing because I'm still in the city. And also because, Brandon, like, I'm a person who's actually quite solitary. Like, I, and I, and I, like, I, I, I want some privacy. I want some alone time and I want to do what I'm doing well and I can't do it well around him because it takes up all the space. So I'm escaping to work basically. Um, and I'm not so clear yet that I'm escaping because it hasn't gotten so bad yet, but there's, there's, I, I have the need to leave. And whenever I leave though, there seems to be a fight that comes out of that. And, you know, I'm, I'm being conditioned fairly quickly that like leaving, I pay for leaving. Right. And so slowly, slowly, like, you know, whether it's going to work or wanting to spend even a night at home, which is like a 15 minute, like skate, I skate everywhere, skate to the office versus an hour to get in uh, from his place. Um, I like I start to just like shrink my world and avoid those things to avoid conflict. Um, and I'm not clear that this is and this is happening fast. This is all like a month. Let's call it a month and a half. Like it's very it's 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 rapid. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm, and, and we're planning this Germany thing to, together and I'm going to go with him and run this show. And like, I'm designing sort of the, this airplane terminal sized event of like the future of outdoor and it's dope. And, um, like I have a full plate and so, you know, and he's stressed and all the things. So like, I kind of let things go also. But I, and I don't really notice how small my world is becoming and that I'm being isolated um, while it's happening. Um, and he's still not really working. I have to be there every second weekend he has his daughter. I have to be there every time his daughter is there, which is strange and inappropriate. Um, but she, Suddenly, that's like part of my responsibility, and and I am infatuated with him, and um, it seems reciprocal. And I've never had a partner who was emotionally present and not emotionally avoidant, and it's uh, lovely at that level, you know, like it's. I'm sort of drunk on the intensity of all of it. Um, but there start to be like, I, there begin to be these really concerning sort of pieces of information that I discover. Like he has these, and they, you can take this as big or small. His dogs, they're kind of neglected. He literally never walks his dog. Um, he threatens his ex-wife, like, who has his daughter, like, he, he, he threatens her, he's litigious with her, he, um, is, like, 
storing evidence on her. He's trying to hack her. Uh, he talks about, you know, she was she was an addict like decades ago. He talks about like like using his connections and hitting her with heroin in the street because he knows that it would be what's best for his kid. Like 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 oh sweet mother of pearl, this is not what normal humans do kind of thing, right? Um he kind of you know, he, he talks about his father apparently was horrific to him, but and he claims to like love, love, love his mother. But he also like sort of uses his mother and like uses her financially. Like he doesn't treat her like he loves her. He treats her like he uses her. Um, and he starts also sort of changing me slowly but surely. There's criticism about the way that I work, the way that I dress who my friends are, um, my relationship with my family. And I've just closed things to him at this stage. Like, I, he knows he knows my secrets. He knows my weaknesses. He knows, um, about, he, 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 he knows about me. Um, he knows about my ex. He knows my life. Like, it's been, it's been full open book, full disclosure up until now, you know? And the person that you met uh, initially, all of those things, you're starting to see that it, that it is a false front, even though you may not be, or you maybe have it on the back burner, but it's it's in your mind now that maybe these things aren't adding up, but you're in it. Um, and are you in I'm denial? I'm starting. I'm I'm there 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 are like flickers of like. Ooh, like that's not cool. Like that's 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 really that's not that doesn't match. But at the same time, there was all of this evidence that sort of um, substantiated a bunch of the stuff that he had told me. And like the, you know, it's it, they say that the best lies are the lies that like are based on a kernel of truth. So. I think he understood that. I think he understood how to take certain elements from his past that were real, and I'll get into which they were later, um, and build upon them to manufacture a to manufacture a narrative that is by and large false, but that if you believe those few initial things, like you would believe the whole story. You know, um, and so like this is going on. There starts to be more, more like behavior that I'm really sort of, you know, like he he goes into my computer and 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 looks through my photo album and likes things. And I'm like, like you can't do that. Like that's an invasion of privacy. Like, don't you know that you don't do that? And then there's this, like, chronic sort of uh, insecurity, let's call it, which is really jealousy, which is really control, which blames on his ex cheating on him, um, where he wants to look in my phone constantly. And when he finds things in there that, um, 
are embarrassing in some way. He, he like, he uses them against me. And, you know, when there are fights or whatever, he'll, like, make it so, it's so twisted. He would, like, make me share things with him. He would make me, like, have sex with him and share things with him and basically, like, turned these, like, vulnerable, relatively insignificant pieces of information, but things that to me felt embarrassing and he knew how to read me. He would use them to shame me. And he would do it in the construct of, like, a sexual context. And that was, like, a kind of kink that was, like, not my kind of kink. (laughs) That was, like, I'm all for exploring all the food groups. But that was, like, I don't like how this feels. Um this feels humiliating in a really shitty, shitty way. Um, And he enjoyed that. And so that was pretty disconcerting. And that kind of behavior over the course of the relationship escalated. And it didn't escalate in the way that, like, you know, he was never violent with me was violent around me, but he was never violent with me, but he would use, he would use sex and punishment and shame and mix them together into a soup and make me eat it. And that was, you know, I ended up towards the end, like just disassociating when this happened and basically giving up, like giving in and giving up and just not being there for it because I didn't really know what else to do. Um, so obviously I tell no one about this because it's fucked up and shameful and then they'll hate him and they'll say, why are you with him? And I can't justify it. So I don't tell anyone. And anyway, I'm not really talking to anyone and I'm supposed to be doing a year to live and I'm, you know, all the things. So, um, I start journaling kind of in secret. Like I've got like a hidden Instagram account and I, I I like write stuff and take photos and it's not like a log of bad things that are happening. It's just a place to like talk to myself. At least it feels safe. And even doing that, like there was this tinge that I knew was there that I didn't really lean into, but it was like, a sense of fear of him finding things that I had said that would upset him and being punished for it. So like the need to hide stuff. Um, so I knew something was wrong at that level and, you know, but we left for Germany. We had this trade show to do. And we're like, what, like maybe three and a half months in, four months in, three months in. We're in Germany and we're doing this like really cool thing. Um, And I feel like I'm sort of like uh, getting to look into sort of like worlds and opportunities that I had not been exposed to before and 
that's really, really cool. And uh, like, I'm doing a really good job also, which I enjoy. And at the same time, like where there are these fights, he's like, he's given me full, I'm in charge of, you know, I'm in charge of this space. I'm in charge of design. Um, and that part is like super validating because I, I respect his work. I respect that he's pulled this thing off also. Um, and at the same time, he like, you know, he's being, he's picking fights, like professional fights at this trade show with like big, like, like corporations, like, like CCOs and, um, like, kind of showing up almost like in this gangsterish way and threatening people. And I'm like, what the, what is, what is this? And he's picking fights with me and it's always an ultimatum. And I always end up like giving in because there's no compromise. There's no room for conversation. It's either it's over or I come back to him. And we're in a fight one day and, you know, like we've, we've, we've left the event at the end of the day and we're in, we're in Munich and like, he's just being horrid. We're walking down the street and he wants to go to the red light district. You know, he'd been talking about us having threesomes while we were there. He's talking about us like sleeping with sex workers while we're there. And, and like, again, I have no issue against like, like playing with in, in, in any capacity, but I have issues doing this when I'm fighting with my partner. Like, this is not an aphrodisiac for me. This is not like a moment where I'm feeling amorous or adventurous or any of it. And, and I'm like, no, like, no, no. And he like, you know, throws water in my face and like, it's everything is just, yo, you're a dick. Um, like, you're just being an, a real jerk at a level that I don't quite know how to process. Um, the trade show ends. We decide to, and like, bear in mind, you know, I've put in a bunch of money for this. My ticket was paid for, et cetera, but like, he has no cash, blah, 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 blah. Like, it's it, 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 it's held together a little by a shoestring. And we decided to take like um, a week and just putz around the elk. And um, what do you know? I'm late getting my period. And I'm 38 at the time. I'd never had a pregnancy. Like I've never been pregnant. I've never tried to get pregnant. Um, this is incredibly irresponsible capital I underlined in italics, right? <laughs> like, oh, sweet Jesus. I've known this human for like three months and, um, right. Well done. So, and he, so he's like happy about this. We're, we're driving around. I'm nauseous. I'm low energy. Um, I don't really want to be going on adventures like trekking up to the Mad King's Castle and whatever. Like, I'm not feeling fantastic. 
but uh, we, you know, we sort of follow his agenda, and it's this, like, combination of I love him and I hate him and I love this and I hate this and I want to go home and this is home and it's a hot mess and I don't really know which way is up. We do that. I go home to New York with him. I pee on a stick. I'm pregnant, obviously, right? And I tell myself, okay, what's the worst case scenario here? Because, like, we can be stupid and then we can be stupid, stupid. And I'm like, the worst case scenario is the probable scenario at some level, statistically, which is, like, this may not work. You don't know a person after three, four months. So if this does not work, then can I do this? Do I want this? And I was like, yeah, I actually really want this. And that was like a revelation um, because, like I said at the beginning, I had never even entertained that that was something that was viable for me, you know? But I feel like solid. And um, so I'm home. I haven't told anybody. Um, we are supposed to be leveraging, uh, like, all of the work opportunities, et cetera, that came out of Germany, but he isn't really working. He's actually not working at all. He has no money. He's not working. I... I guess I'm nervous, Brandon, like part of it starts getting nervous because I'm pregnant. He's always like, he's months late on rent. He doesn't pay child support. He's not using all of these opportunities. I'm pregnant. Right? Like, yo, buddy, buckle up. Like, it, 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 like this is the moment now where we get ducks in a row. This is New York. This requires some, like, planning and strategy and like a game plan and money and all the things. And I'm not seeing that. And that's really um, impacting how I start to feel. And I, I, I'm, I feel like I'm stuck in this truck with this, you know, maybe my baby kind of thing. And, and and he's driving me nuts, and he's not doing anything, and I, I miss my home. I miss my work. I miss a sense of freedom. I miss a sense of agency. I miss security. Like, there, there start to be, like, these feelings that I can't really ignore. Um, and so I call my realtor, and I take the house off the market, okay? Like, nothing won, nothing lost, nothing's changed, fine. Um, but this becomes a very big point of contention, obviously, um, because that's my exit. That's also a big chunk of money. 
that every month I'm like, I'm not paying rent with them. I'm paying my mortgage. And, um, so I, you know, I might be like supporting his lifestyle in a bunch of ways, but I can't really be paying for his life while I'm paying for this place. Um, and you know, as, as sort of the pregnancy goes on, like I become really sensitive to smells and to all the normal stuff. And like his house is filthy. Like his dogs piss everywhere because he never trained them because he neglects them. And like, I feel sick. Like I can't, like I can, like I, I can't deal with it. And so we fight about that and I leave when we make up and rinse, wash, repeat, rinse, wash, repeat, rinse, wash, repeat, but it's, it's, it's wearing on me. And while all this has happened, he's planning sort of like our lives together and our work lives together. And he's looking at homes in the woods that I assume he wants me to buy. Like, <laughs> no. And um, you know, and all of this, Brandon, the, the, the thing that was wacky is like, I'm pretty sure it's verbatim what happened with both women who came before me, like wanted to get places out in sort of, you know, like with stock or the Catskills, he wanted, like, he knocked them up early, like they worked with him. Like, this is not a unique, I am not a privileged candidate in the scheme of things. This is modus operandi. Um, and I'm aware of that and the things he's accusing me of, it's all projection of like either things that they've done or things that he's done, probably things he's done. And I'm not happy. I'm, I'm, I'm really feeling, um, really anxious, really, really anxious and really controlled. Um, really anxious and really controlled. And there, even though he hasn't threatened me yet, I've seen how he's acted with everyone around him. And so I know, you know, I know, I know how he operates. And so I think that there's, um, concern there that's justified also that's just at a gut level. So, and I don't have vices. I'm not, he doesn't, he's controlling how much I exercise. Like movement has always been a big part of sort of how I make myself feel good. Like whether it's yoga or whether it's skating or whether it's whatever, like, like a movement practice is important. He's being really controlling about that. He's being really controlling with my food, like making me eat certain things, being controlling with work. And so... And, and I'm not eating, like I'm not binging and purging, I'm not drinking, I'm not, I, ha- I have no tools, <laughs> I have no vices, and so I start sleeping as a way to, and I have no work, which has always been like, okay, I can, like, I can make, and there's silence when I make things in my head, um, but, but I can't do that either, and so I start sleeping as a way to escape, because it seems like the only place that thing I can do that's like good for the baby and also where he'll shut the fuck up, you know? Um, so we decided to go to Canada 
to introduce him to my parents um, before my birthday. And we drive off up there, and, like, my parents are academics. Um, Like, they know an academic when they see one, I guess. Anyway, um, we drive up there, and we fight the whole time, and I fake sleep in the car and blah, blah, blah. And we go to the cottage, and my father and he go out for, like, these long canoe rides where, um, you know, the narc, my, my narc, talks incessantly, and there's a lot of jealousy that's starting to come up about my ex-husband, who is, like I said, family. Like, it has been platonic 1,000% since we separated. He has a girlfriend, but the fact that he's in my life is a really big problem, um, is a really big problem, and I don't want to tell my parents that I'm pregnant yet. I feel like they just met this man, and we're fighting, and I'm not happy, and I don't want to tell them this while I'm not happy, and because they'll know, because they can read me. And um, while I'm there, I ask my mother, I go into the kitchen, everybody's having dinner on the porch, and I go into the kitchen, and I say to her, can you ask me to come back, like, soon, just to, like, spend time with you guys? And she's like, yeah, come back. And I'm like, no, can you ask me out there? And she looks at me funny. And um, she does. And after the... I mean, she knew. She, she sat down with my father, and she's like, something is really not right. Like, something is very, very wrong here. So we go back to New York, and on the way back, we make up, and we're back in paradise, and it's ridiculous. And um, go back to the city, his father gets sick, and his father, who he hates, and... Um, I tell him I want to spend a couple of nights a week at my place. Um, and we get in, like, massive fights about this because he really, he really doesn't like me having that place at all. Um, but... You know, I'm 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 staying in the city. His father gets sick. I decide to go back to see my parents. He kind of makes up with me before I leave. I go go back to Canada. I take the train back home, and I tell my parents I'm pregnant, and they're thrilled. Okay, they're beyond. They're like, you're absolutely the stupidest person on planet Earth, and also we're so, so, so happy, and whatever you need, we've got you. And um, I sort of start telling them, you know, like, I, 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 I tell them a little bit, a bit about the sort of, like, house issues and blah, blah, blah. And my, my father's like, no. Like, look, you are, you are pregnant. You are working downtown. This is stable income. He needs to bend to you. Like, this needs, there has to be compromise in this equation. 
And this is actually about like reducing the amount of stress physically, et cetera, right now, like enough. If you want to speak to him, his father died. Like, okay, go home. On the way home, I tell him that this was a conversation and um, World War III erupts. And the next day I was supposed to go in for an ultrasound. I show up at the doctor and he's waiting for me. And he asks to see my phone, not like to look in it. Takes my phone and he deletes our entire chat history. We're in the waiting room. And I was like, and I didn't think of it at the time as evidence. I thought of it as like history and also like not yours to do. And um, I was like, what the fuck? We go into the doctor. We're doing my exam. I'm healthy. The baby's healthy. Everyone's fine. And then he pulls out that, you know, I have, I have like this unstable psych history and, you know, he's very concerned about my emotional stability and the well-being of this baby. And he says, you know, like when I was 18, there was a doctor who said that I might be borderline, which I was never diagnosed with. Um, but he tells this doctor this and she gets very concerned but none of it is true like I'm the most stable I've ever been and like what the what so I leave and she's really concerned and she's now responding like this is fact and we leave there and he calls my parents and he tries to align them with him like you know, that he's very concerned and da, da, da. And my parents were like, no, like, we know how she's doing. Like, like, stop it. And he called my ex-husband. He tries to do the same. My ex-husband, I guess, like, like, people have my back. They, they know me. They trust me. We have, a, like, very, usually very good communication. So here's an instance where he is trying to, you know, everything that's kind of going on, he's, uh, you know, you're in a situation where you're feeling trapped. He's pulling all the shenanigans. He's not the same person as uh, when it started. The facade is uh, crumbling. And here is... The mask is slipping. It's slipping. And here's a point where he's now going to try and put you further in a hole by creating a smear campaign, everyone against you. But unbeknownst to him... It's not going to work because your parents know you, know you like the back of your hand. And if there's any fault in what he's doing as a, whatever pathology, you know, he has and whatever plan he has, this is his first misstep. Would you say? Yes, this is a massive, this is what actually, this is what destroyed any it would have all gone to hell and handbasket anyway obviously but um this is this was the stupidest thing he did because then when he didn't get his way what did he do he lashed out and he lashed out not at me he lashed out by threatening my parents through me and he'd gone on all these canoes like my father's an economist he's you know 
clever with his investments, et cetera. And I believe, but bear in mind, I believe that this man is ex-psyop and has murdered people, okay? And so, and super connected and all of this shit. And so he is, he, under the guise of being concerned for the well-being of this baby, his baby, um, I quote, um, he starts threatening my parents, and I'm shocked. Like, I'm shocked. Like, nobody has ever threatened me or my family. And, you know, he's, he's threatening them. It escalates. He breaks windows. He breaks doors. He won't let me out of the house. It, like, turns from, you know, we were at, like, 60 on the Richter scale of dysfunction to, like, oh, no, we're all the way there. We're, like, I am now scared. And um, I leave. I leave and am sort of in shock and, you know, somehow the talks his way out of or justifies all of that somehow. And I'm, but I'm now in a real bind because everybody has seen, because I've spoken to them, I've called them, I've been worried, I've been like, I've told them what I'm scared of, that he's threatened, right? Like, so now they, they, they have seen who he is. And everybody is now, so my, my ex-husband is a serious interventionist. Like, he knows crazy when he sees it, and he's like... And just to say, your ex-husband, your first husband, you were actually married to. Yeah, correct. Um, so everybody is like, uh-uh. And my parents sit down with my ex-husband, and they're like, Something's really not adding up here. We need a PI. So they hire a PI. Now I'm I'm now in this shit place where I am hearing about this conflict with my parents and my ex husband from my narc constantly. And it's really devastating to me because I'm not gonna I'm not going to cut these people out. Like, that's not even in the realm of on the table. Um, But I'm in the middle of, like, this massive conflict, and I don't know how to broker a peace deal. And, you know, uh, my nurse starts talking about paternity contracts and all this stuff. I start having panic attacks. Um, which I've never had in my life. And, like, I'm really worried about... I'm really worried about what kind of a environment my body is for this kid. Beyond, like, the future, I'm like, what kind of a garden is this? Because it feels toxic as shit to me. You know? Like, I'm so... I'm so, so stressed and so, so unhappy and, like, scared. I've 
never been scared like the way that he's scaring me. So what did um, your uh, parents find with the PI? We're getting there, Brent. We're okay. getting there. <laughs> so I go to, um, I have a shoot for work in London for like three weeks. So I, I go to London. We have sort of semi-made up. He's shopping, you know, for engagement rings. I don't freaking know. Um, and my father tells me I've hired this PI and maybe you're going to hate me for it. But if something happens and I didn't do anything, I would never forgive myself. So you can hate me. And I'm like, no, I understand that. Fair enough. Um, do the shoot. Fine, fine, fine. I come home and like the break was a relief, obviously. Right. It's like, I'm away. I'm not being guilted for being away. I can breathe like, oof. I come home and have the genius idea of telling my mom that my parents hired the CI. Oh, that was a really, bad, that was a really bad idea. <laughs> you think? Oh, my God. I, oh I, my God. I never usually say anything like that on the show, but I'm going to say right now, that was a terrible idea. A terrible idea. Terrible, terrible idea. So, and it's like, like... And what does what does the PI find out? So the PI comes over and finds out that he does not have a PhD. He has multiple orders of protection out against him. He has multiple lawsuits um, out against him. He um, is not has no history whatsoever of being. Anything, government, secret service, anything, and those people don't talk about it. Um, it's like just lie after lie after lie after lie, and I'm like, okay, um, okay, fuck, um, now where am I? So I'm spending more and more time at my house um, because, you know, this came up. I'm spending a, a few days a week there. I, I'm I'm in Brooklyn one day, and something happened, and I had been waiting for it, Brandon. And I like I wait for him to leave. I I get my cat. I pack my a small bag of stuff, and I go home. And, like, the cat was a thing. Like, the cat, the cat was, like, I'm not going to leave my cat. Um, and, you know, he's, I start to think seriously about what my options are. Because, like, the threats are escalating now. And, um... I think at this stage, he comes over. There's maybe one or two more Hoovers. He came over one day and, like, he wouldn't leave. He's, like, you know, ringing the doorbell endlessly, like, sitting outside my house, finally let him in. And, 
like won't shut up, won't leave. And, and like, I, I, I'm like, I'm hitting walls. Like, I don't, I feel hunted. I feel trapped and hunted. And like, I feel incredibly fucking unstable actually. And I end up going to emergency because like, I don't know what else to do. And, um, I'm there. They know I'm pregnant. They like, they know the statistics also. And this is what shocked the shit out of me because like, they know the statistics in terms of like abuse and pregnancy and all the things. And they're like, can we talk to him? And they, the doctor, the psychologist calls him. This is an Upper East Side hospital. Talks to him for an hour. And they're like, he really wants to make things better with you. And they send me home with him. And like rinse, wash, repeat. And it, you know, we, the last straw was we went for a drive and um, he wanted to go look at houses that he couldn't pay for. And uh, we go for this drive and on the way home, something happens and he starts beating the car like he's going to crash it into things. And I'm like four months pregnant and I'm petrified and I jump out of the car, it's still moving. And um, I can't even go back to my house because he's parked outside of it. And I get this, I don't even have a key to his house after all of this. Um, And that was it. The next day I called a lawyer and um, I sent him groceries before I called the lawyer, but you know, whatever. So I call a lawyer. I go down to see this man and um, in financial district and I tell him the story and, and I say, what should, like, what do you think? What should I do? And uh, he said, well, I think you should have an abortion and you may want to change your name. And if you can move without it being hugely inconvenient, you should probably do that. And if you want, often we're hired to plant bait. And I was like, pardon, come, come again. What was like, what was that? And he's like, yeah, like plant a new supply. And I, I was like, what happened to the bait? And he's like, the same thing that just happened to you. And I was like, you offer this as a service? And he's like, yes, that's the safest way of moving on. And I was like, walked out of that office, mind a little bit blown, and went to my friend's house, ate a lot of Chinese food and cried for a day. And called my doctor and said, I think I need to terminate this pregnancy because I don't think that knowing, you know, what the laws are, that there's any way that I can keep this person out of my life. And I don't want to be in the swamp or for this baby to be in a swamp in perpetuity because because he will want to be there because that will be supply. And um, my parents are barely beside themselves. I go to my ex-husband flies down with my ex-sister-in-law to be with me. 
I book an appointment at the doctor and, and uh, go in and they explain the procedure. And I'm like, really? Like, this is how we do this in 2020? Like, dismemberment is a non better way of doing this? And there's like, they were like, actually, like, if we reschedule, we can. There's like a more ethical means of abortion where we like, you know, like stop the heart ahead of time. And I'm like, yeah, I'll take that way please, obviously. Um, my parents fly down and um, my father is like the book lawyers. He's looking for like holes in the fence. And at the same time, he's like, I have your back. No matter what. And, um, you know, during all of this, I, before backup, um, the PI, after I'd met with the PI, you know, the, I'd gone to the police and I'd filed because my ex had started sending threats, not just to me, but to my ex. He had been contacting my ex's girlfriend and telling her lies about us. She had relapsed as a consequence, like hard relapse. Um, he'd called every partner I had had that he knew of and like done the mandatory smear. He'd called my boss. I'd had to warn my work. Like, it was, we were in full, full, full mode, you know? Legal letters were coming. Like, he called my parents and told them every last possible disgusting thing that he could muster that I had told him. And my father laughed and was like, ha, the apple doesn't fall from the the tree. And I was like, I have the best fucking family, you piece of human waste. Um... But my parents came down, and I knew it was the right thing to do, and I knew there were no options that were good. And I knew that, like, everything he had threatened, that I had seen him threaten his ex with, would be verbatim what I would go through. And, like, I had a great childhood with, like, stable parents who loved each other and loved me and still I wound up messed up Brent. right like like I'm not going like this child would be so fucked up like what a terrible thing to do to a person and um so so my mother stays and she's a rock she's like usually hyper emotional and she's being a fucking rock and I'm reading the Velveteen Rabbit to my stomach at this stage trying not to be upset so that like the melon that is in me doesn't know that the world is falling apart and we go in and watch on a big screen as they hunt a heartbeat and she holds my hand and um 
I have the procedure and we go home. And um, that really sucks. And at the same time, like, I don't think I would have left if I hadn't been pregnant. Like, I don't think that if I didn't have to think about, like, the well-being of and like the future in such a way because I'm not I'm pretty bad at marshmallow experiment. Like I don't I don't know if I would have I don't know if I would have had such a clean break. Um but that really hurt. Like, more than I think anything has hurt me. Because I realized in the process that I would be a really good mother and a really long family. And I was also 39. And, you know, like, there are windows. So, and after that, the smear continued, the social smears, all the things, and, you know, like, nobody engaged. I had, like, acquaintances on social that would contact me and say, like, this person is saying this, and, like, that doesn't seem cool. I had ex-partners, one-night friends, whatever, that you would reach out to that they would, like, back me, like, my... My ex-husband totally, like, gray rocked the shit out of him. Everyone, everyone had my back. You know, I was scared after. I was, I would check my doors. I was, I was vigilant as hell. Um, because this is not reasonable. None of this is reasonable. The threats were very unreasonable. The order of protection I got extended to my parents, my ex. Like, oh, I missed a really lovely piece, actually. The, the, the piece before, before the abortion, before, the, before the, the final straw was, he wanted me to come back to Brooklyn, and I didn't want to. And we had meetings, like work meetings the next day, and he faked the suicide attempt. And um, his business partner called me at like, you know, five in the morning was like, you know, he said that he's taken all of this, whatever, whatever. And he's like, and, and that he's at the treehouse. And I was like, but there's no cell reception at the treehouse. And... I was like, that doesn't add up. And so I taxi over to Brooklyn, and his truck is there. And his partner had already called an ambulance, and he'd been picked up. And I go to the hospital, and I say, like, did you check him? 
for insulin because he said he took all of his father's insulin. And the doctor was like, one sec, and he's like, yeah, now his blood is clinging shit. And while I was there, he tried to turn it on me. He tried to, like, talk about my psych issues, my na-na-na. And they ended up giving him a, like, what is this, 5150 or whatever, like, held against your mm-hmm. will for your own protection and kept him there for, like, a week. And he wanted me to, like, get him out, and I wouldn't. And that was, that was like the, that was the straw. That was like, after that, it was like war. Um, so, you know, I had this abortion. He tried to, I, I blocked him on everything. Um, I went back to work almost immediately. I just wanted to like put my head down and, I wanted to put my head down and go back to normal, I think. And, um, you know, went home at Christmas that year. And this is, all of this is two years ago is when I met him, I think. Is that correct? I think so. Um, I went home and, you know, so I get signed back up full time at work, and literally, it had been almost exactly a year. And this is the whole irony of this story. You know, that like I wanted to take a year off to go like feel new things and learn new things and discover something about myself and careful what you ask for. (laughs) And, And he's a miserable, miserable person that I didn't know that that existed as a person. Like I, I, I didn't know that malicious existed just out of, like, you know, pure pleasure in destruction and harm. Like, I, I didn't, that, that was, that was, that was new um, to me. And, and, and at the same time, like, this was the first time in my life that I, really saw how much I am loved, like really felt how much I'm loved by the people I love. Um, And that was a big gift. Like, that's not something that... um, I don't think you learn that free. So, and you know, COVID happened sort of that spring, and I was really happy. Like, I was really grateful to have a period of quiet and redundancy and like normal boring felt like luxury. Me 
and safety. And uh, that, that is that story. So in this year, um, you know, you've had uh, a lot of time to think about what happened, uh, heal from what happened, you know, from when you originally emailed me, you know, it was very fresh back then. So within the last year, I mean, what were the biggest ways for for you to heal from the trauma of everything? Because you went through, I mean, to deal with him alone was one thing to deal with the loss of your child is, is another thing. Um, and everything that went about that and how has been that process and what have you had to do to uh, deal with everything to cope? Um, I, I dated someone like a couple of months after, I think I just wanted to clear the deck and like this human was fine. There was nothing, there was nothing, uh, wrong at all about him but i i realized like i really need to be alone for a little bit for a beat here and um i didn't date for like a good six seven months after that eight months um i I would like to say that it was transformative in all of the ways. And I don't think that that's true. I think like I lost myself in work intentionally pretty hard. Um, I was grateful for COVID. I also like, you know, have had bouts where I've struggled with eating uh, since and I really wish that wasn't the case. Um, it's okay, but it's like 40 years old. Like I'm so sick of working on this issue. Um, I started dating someone last summer, um, and it is very slow moving. Slow the point where I'm like, oh, sweet mother of Jesus. But, um, but I also really trust that. I appreciate that. Um, so can you, can you explain uh, what slow is to you? For, for, well, the, for the benefit is, of others as well. Yeah. Um, it, there, there was no love bombing. There was, you know, there's, there's, intelligence and there's attraction, there's intensity and, and et cetera, but there's no, um, there's no moving in. There's no grand plans. There's no future or anything. It, in, it's very much like in the moment. And, um, so you're dating mindfully. I guess, is that what it's called? Uh, no, like, you know how yeah. mi- mindfulness is, yeah. you know, being mindful, you're being present in the specific situation, like, in that present moment. So you are like, just... And I would, take, I would take credit for it if I could, but 
frankly, like that's much more his nature. And I'm grateful for it because it's setting the pace that I, I can identify as healthy for me right now. Yeah, you, you're enjoying your time together. You are, you know, you have your own life, I assume, apart. And when you're doing that with someone else, you're mindful and present with them. But within your date, yeah. you know, so you're just, you know, you're being um, cautious, but you're making sure that there are boundaries, I assume, and that um, you're staying on your side of the fence. They're staying on their side of the fence. And, you know, your compliments to each other. Very much. And it's, um, it's lovely, actually. Like, it's, it's really incredibly um, reassuring about, you know, because these things can do a number on you. If you get a few in a row, like, uh, they can just mess up your sense of trust also. And um, in humanity, and um, my ex doesn't deserve to destroy my sense of trust in humanity. And like, do you have, um, I guess, uh, flashbacks of any sort or nightmares or anything like that that maybe sometimes throws you back there? And if you do, how do you deal with that? I had the most horrific nightmares for a year. They were so insane that I actually recorded. I was being a Jungian therapist, and I would record them every morning. And I actually turned it into, like, I threw them all up on a, an Instagram because I was like, this, like, I, I'm a creative, but I can't come up with shit that comes close to this. Like, on my own, sleep is messed up. Um, yeah, it was a horrific, horrific, horrific nightmares, and I still am hyper-reactive around sounds at night when I'm alone. Um, I avoid certain parts of town. Um, and, you know, the, the thing that, the, the thing that, is unfortunate is that, for example, um, you know, to anything that might, that I could do that would, you know, I would never use his name publicly. I would never even, when I got an order of protection, like, um, that was one thing. Then his partner, his work partner, um, had a similar thing happen. He was threatened, et cetera. And he sent me his new address because the narc moved. And he was like, do you want to let the detectives know where he is? Like, this is his address. And I didn't even want to do that because I didn't want to poke the bear. Like, I didn't want to risk anything possibly coming back to me, any potential retaliation. And I think, like, that's the piece that, I find so upsetting when it comes to any sort of abuse is that the, you know, your willingness to do what is 
what would be what would be correct or what could potentially stop them from 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 repeating this or warn others from entering into it um, put you at risk and it's too big of a risk to entertain you know what they're capable of and so everybody shuts up and um, it's why women don't call the cops right it's like eh, I'll take I'll, I'll take I'll take I'll take a black eye over retaliation for calling cops thank you um, so I hate that I'm still scared of him. I really um, don't like that about myself, but I also, I think I made the right, I, I know I made the right choice. I know that it may have been the only I may not have kids ever, you know, and um, and if I don't ever, then I'm able to live with that also because I think that that's better than um, having a family that grows up in ugliness. Um, it was a very... Feel like that whole experience in many ways like a coming of age. Like it was a eye opening at at the level that like shocking. Just shocking. And if you have any words of wisdom or advice for everyone who's listening, what would it be? Well, I think people who are listening are probably either in something or coming out of something, mostly. And I think maybe this is a privileged thing to say, but I'm going to say it anyway. I think that um, we don't learn things when things are easy, generally. Um, And I think that if this experience doesn't destroy you, it gives you a really big gift. And, you know, whoever it is that we've been with, they're always going to be miserable. And our experience with them was obviously miserable. And also that gift is incredibly valuable. And for me, it was actually really beautiful. And, uh, I'm not going to say it's worth it, but it's close. I would say look for look for what you got from it. Well, Willow, from the bottom of my heart, I want to thank you for being here today. I know this was not an easy story for you to tell. Um, it's a, been a whole year work in progress for you to be here. And I just want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for uh, laying it out. Uh, out there for everyone. Uh, I mean, it was, that's not easy what you did today and you did a really good job and uh, me and everyone else out here are going to be thanking you for a long time. So uh, from the bottom of my heart, thank you so much, Willow. You're welcome. Thanks for having me on.
You're welcome. And for everyone who is listening, I hope you have a good night.